Thank you, Brother Mike. I guess it's good to be here tonight. Are you glad you're here? I mean, for you all to be here on a Friday night, that's a, that's a, this is Walmart night. But do you have one yet in Tonganoxie? Because I remember what Jay Scribner said, that it was an Indian word for city without a Walmart. So I don't know whether that is true or not, but uh, I'm thankful to be here. And do you, were any of you here, to th- it was B.C., before COVID, 2018, 2019, I had the privilege of preaching in those spiritual conferences, or that I don't remember what we called them, but spiritual growth conferences from back there, and uh, it was a great time. How many of you have heard me before? And you came anyway, so I am amazed. Down here, John and Tanya are two people I dearly love. Uh, well, I love John and put up with Tanya, but uh, Tanya has messed with me a lot through the years. I've got this big nativity that Betty and I put out in the yard every year, and it's got all these different elements of the, you know, just like it was in Bethlehem. And so uh, I've got a big white donkey that is out there, and uh, Tanya has messed with my donkey from time to time. Uh, so anyway, I just have to watch her. Are you a Broncos fan? Yeah, so just right there, right there. What does that say? Yeah, donate a kidney or not. That doesn't get you anything these days. But I was thinking about you the other night when that ball game was, supposed ball game was taking place. And I thought, I think Tanya is a Chiefs fan but she's a Broncos girl because she grew up out there. And so, I'm sorry about that. Sorry for bringing it up. By the way, I know the Chiefs are playing uh, Sunday morning. Uh, You know that too. Please record it. Yeah, and come. And I promise I will not give any updates. I do this all the time because I'm a real basketball fan. I mean, by real basketball, I mean Kentucky Wildcat fan. And so we always are recording things, and then there's always people that are coming along telling you what happened. And sometimes there are people that actually give you false information. And again, I'll just point at Tanya. That's a whole other story about uh, giving me false information during the middle of an NCAA game that I couldn't watch because I was preaching. And she told me they won. And then I found out they hadn't. So that's how it goes. No, you just didn't tell the truth. But I have no bitterness in my heart. It's been done a long time. I am glad to be here. I want to ask you tonight to take your Bible and to turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. And tonight... I want to use a little bit of an object lesson, but we're going to take a bit of a test. You know, we are used to taking tests. We're used to taking COVID tests. We're used to taking, if you went to school, then you know you're used to taking tests. And we, I went to a little bitty elementary school. There were only like 10 in my class at Glencoe, Kentucky. And then I went off to high school, and there were 32 in our class when they consolidated everybody at Warsaw, Kentucky, at Gallatin County High School. In 1971, when I graduated from high school, I was valedictorian of that class. I know you're amazed by that, but yeah, it was. I never made a C 
until I was a senior in high school in my mother's English class. And I'm pretty well over the bitterness of that anyway. And even with a C, I still managed to have the best grades of everybody in my graduating class. Well, I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian, so I went off to the University of Kentucky with the plan. I wasn't a Christian at that time, but with a plan that I was going to go to vet school. Well, there's no vet school in Kentucky, so you would have to go to Auburn or go to Ohio State. You had to have really good grades. And I'm uh, in my first semester of my freshman year at University of Kentucky, and I'm getting down toward the end of the semester. Now, school's a whole lot different back then than it is now when we took tests they put the results up on a board out in the hall with your, basically the last five digits of your social security number was my, uh, that was my student ID number. And so they'd go out there and they would, and I began that year to look, when I had taken chemistry, I would go out and look at the grades that were posted and I could find the lowest grade in the chemistry class and know that it was gonna match up with my uh, student ID. And so it was not good. I'd gone from being valedictorian. I mean, this is a humbling experience. I'd gone to go to, to, to chemistry 110, and I was in trouble. So I went in to see the professor toward the end of the first semester, and he looked my grades over, and he said, Oh, Mr. Schenkel, he said, Have you had a good time this semester? And I said, Well, doctor, I have, you know, I haven't missed very many classes, and I've, and I've done what I thought I needed to do. And then he said, Well, that's a shame you should have had a good time because you're going to fail chemistry. That's what he told me. And then he said, if you make 100% on your final, I'll pass you. That's how bad it was. Well, I failed chemistry, so there went all the hopes of ever going off to, uh, to be a veterinarian. Uh, I didn't fail chemistry once. I failed it twice. And then I passed it the third time because the girl I sat next to, was she was good. So anyway... That's how I got through chemistry. In my sophomore year, I came to know Jesus Christ as my Savior. What I want to tell you tonight is that you can sit in every chair in this church, every one of them, and die without Christ. Because it's not about attending church. I've done that. It's not about walking an aisle. I've done that. It's not about being involved in the youth department. I've done that. It's not being a so-called good person, I've done that. But the word of God's word simply says what Jesus said to Nicodemus, except you be born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, there are times in our lives when we need to examine ourselves. Let me read some scripture to you before I go to the main text. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, the Apostle Paul wrote, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobate, King James Version says, or unless you fail the test. In other words, there's a day coming when there is going to be a test. The Bible says it's going to happen. Christ must be in you when you come to that day of the test. Galatians chapter 6, verse 4 says, But let every man prove his own work, and then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another person. That's a test. Prove your own self. Prove your works. Check yourself out. Take your temperature. Run that thing up in there till you get brain matter. But check yourself. 
You know what I'm talking about. Examine yourself. In fact, every time we come to the Lord's Supper table, generally speaking, I say every time, but nearly every time, I've always gone to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, nearly every time, and says, but let a man examine himself. So tonight, that's what this is. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, the Bible says, Paul speaking of himself, he said, for we dare not make ourselves the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Examine yourself. So John writes in 1 John chapter 2, look with me if you would, in verse 12. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I write unto you, young men and young women, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write unto you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written unto you, fathers, because you have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, clearly, clearly, in this passage of Scripture, John is giving us a picture of three different kinds of people. Now, I'm going to move tonight. I'm coming down with you, okay? Do your head like this. Yeah, I'm coming down with you. Because this is a night, if I get down without falling down the steps, this is a time of examining ourselves. Years ago, when, uh, when I was pastor at Concord, we had a preacher from Memphis, Tennessee. His name was Dr. Bobby Moore that came and preached a revival. And Brother Bobby sat seven chairs across the front of the auditorium. And this is what he said, and this is what I'm going to talk about tonight with you all. He said, everyone in this building sits in one of these seven chairs. These seven chairs represent everyone at West Haven Baptist Church. So let me identify the first chair represents a person that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior. They are lost without Christ. And it may not be that here on a Friday night, you say, good night, Brother Monty, we've come to church on a Friday night. You mean to tell us? There, there may not be anybody here tonight, but the likelihood with this many people gathered together, that there's someone here tonight that if you were to say, what chair, if, you, if this represents a person that doesn't know Jesus Christ, you'd say, what chair do you sit in? Well, that's, that's where I would be. The second chair represents a person that has just come to know Christ. They just got saved. They don't know a whole lot. It's a brand new thing. What do I do now? Where do I go now? Who do I hang with now? What do I eat now? The third chair represents a babe in Christ. 
And a church that is full of babies, I'm talking about physically, little guys. I mean, when our family gets together, 12 grandkids, uh, it was wild when, they were all, when we had a whole lot of babies. We got like three of them now that are eight years old, so you can figure out. At one time, we had three little babies. Little babies cry. Little babies need changing. Little babies need to eat. Little babies don't know what to put in their mouth. Little, boy, little babies need a lot of attention. And Paul said, as newborn babes, P- Peter said, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow. So this person here is lost. You with me? This person here just got saved. A brand new thing that's happened to them. This person is a babe in Christ. And then this person represents what I just read to you from 1 John chapter 2. John said, I write unto you, little children, because you know him, because your sins are forgiven. And then this person represents a young man or a young woman who says, he says, you're strong. And God is at work in your heart. I'm going to talk more about this in a moment. Because I'm not just two points and then we're out of here. He said, God is at work in you. You're strong. You're strong in the Lord. Then this would represent, according to Dr. Bobby Moore, I'm stealing his message, but he's gone home to be with the Lord, so he doesn't care. Uh, This made such an impact on me that I thought, that needs to be, we need to know this, that this represents the fathers and the mothers. And there's some of you all here tonight. Fathers and mothers in the faith, because he said, you have known him from the beginning. You have known him. And then this represents, this is the seventh level, I would say, the seventh seat in our spiritual Walk with the Lord, and this is, guess what? This is heaven. Because someday, if you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're going home to be with the Lord. So, we'll walk through this again. This represents a man that doesn't know the Lord. I'm going to talk about all these. This represents one who just came to Christ. This represents a babe in Christ. This represents that little child in Christ. This represents that young man or young woman who is walking with Christ. This represents the fathers and the mothers, the elders in the church, speaking not just of age but of maturity, but it may be of age. And then this speaks of the one who is going home to be with the Lord. We don't know when, but this is the seventh state. So let's start back here. When I say this represents a lost person, every one of us has sat in this chair. Now, I've heard Brother Mike give his testimony, and you have too. But I was a student at the University of Kentucky in 1972. God was doing some things in this country. Now, I don't know what he was doing in Kansas, but on our, college student, uh, on our college campuses, things were happening. In fact, Memorial Coliseum, which is where the Wildcats played at that time, they, uh, on a public university with taxpayers paying for the lights, 
Bill Glass, a former football player for the Cleveland Browns, stood with thousands of students in that building and he preached the gospel. I watched students that I knew, I'm talking about college football players and others, walk the aisle and commit their life to Jesus Christ in 1972. If, you've just, if you have seen the movie, The Jesus Revolution, that was going on. That was a real thing. Now, I didn't get saved then, but I went to a church on a, on a Saturday night, went with Betty. We were courting at that time. And I look at Tanya, because Tanya knows Betty real well. She's making apple butter tonight. That's why she didn't want to come hear me preach. <laughs> but I went to church with Betty that night, because where we lived, there wasn't a whole lot else that you're going to do. So my dad was a bivocational preacher. We went here and preached this revival. They had a Southern Gospel Quartet singing. And that night, my dad preached on being saved God's way. And he said, some people try to go to heaven uh, man's way, which is do the best you can. Some try to go church's way, which is just join the church. Some try to go their own way. You remember Tom T. Hall's song, Me and Jesus Got Our Own Thing Going? Do you remember that? If you don't remember that, don't call yourself educated. I mean, you got to remember that. Me and Jesus got our own thing going. Me and Jesus got it all worked out. We don't need no fancy preaching um, and, and all that. And then he, but he preached that night and said, there's only one way to go to heaven, and that is you've got to go God's way. And that night I realized I'd never gone God's way. You see, the person that's in this chair, the Bible describes it this way in Ephesians chapter 2. You hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. To sit in this chair, you say, well, I know everything that's going on in the world, and I know all about the news, and I know what's happening in the Middle East, and I know what's happening in our government, I think, and I know all of these things. Yeah. When he says you're dead in trespasses and sins, to be dead means that no longer does your heart beat and your, your lungs don't pump and your kidneys don't function. And, and when you're dead, your brain is not working. There is no activity. If you're still moving, you're not dead. And to be dead means you have no appetite. Why do we have such trouble getting people to come to church to hear the Word of God? It's because they don't have an appetite for the Word of God. I mean, really, and, and that, that is a reality. I, I heard a person say one time years ago, a preacher, he said, uh, we've never had people hungrier for the Word of God than they are today. And I'm thinking, really? When you're when you're alive, you get hungry. When I pastored in Leachville, Arkansas, I had a deacon named Floyd Rose. Floyd was a good deacon, but he was a character. And Floyd liked to eat bologna. I don't know if you all say it with a na, bologna, or bologna, but he liked to eat bologna. And one day, I'd had a funeral, and Floyd rode with me as we went to the cemetery, following the hearse. And Floyd told me, he said, uh, Brother Monty, he said, when I die, if you preach my funeral. And he said, they pass all the people by the casket. He said, before they close the lid on that casket, would you take a piece of bologna and lay it over my mouth? 
And he said, when we get to the cemetery, would you open the lid on the casket? And if that baloney is gone, don't bury me. (laughs) Well, Floyd made a good theological point there. It's deep too, isn't it? Because dead men have no activity. And dead men and women have no hunger for the Word of God. They have no appetite, and, and there's no awareness of what's going on. I, I know I hear people talk about all that we're going to experience when we die and all these things going to happen, but there's no awareness of the work of God around them. Now, if you're saved, you've got an appetite for the things of God, and the activity of God is pretty obvious, and the awareness of God. I see things happen around me all the time, and I think, that's God. God's at work there. I can see that God is at work there. The person that doesn't know Christ as their Savior is dead in their trespasses and sins. That's chair number one. Chair number two is a person that trusts Christ as their Savior. You know, when you look at Paul on the road to Damascus, Saul, as he instantaneously got such a change in his life that automatically he says, Who art thou, Lord? Now, what kind of question is that? You answered the question you just asked. And then he said, what would you have me to do? Once you step out of this seat, or you get up and you move over to this seat, the first question you're going to ask is, Lord, what would you have me to do? I had the privilege just two weeks ago to go in a man's home and that his wife has been praying for this man for over 50 years because they've been married over 50 years. And I had the privilege to sit down with him and lead him to Christ. And I said to him, Shelby, don't you tell anybody until you tell Gina. Tell Gina what happened. And so Gina texts me, oh, brother, yep, that's how it is. And then, I mean, after that, after you've just been saved, the thought is, what could I do? What can I do? And God's Word gives us some pretty clear indications about what we do after we call upon the name of the Lord. And and that is, you need to learn about publicly confessing your life in Christ. And you need to learn about what it means to pray. And you need to have somebody guide you into God's Word. And, And you need to Take a stand and follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Those are things that you need to do when you get out of this chair and into this chair. And then there's this chair. And this is a newborn babe in Christ. And what you need to do is feed. There are going to be people to come. You can't make it on your own. A little bitty baby, a newborn baby in Christ, can't make it on their own. You wait for a child to be born in your home. You wait for nine months, and you, you're waiting for them. You're anticipating for that day to come when the baby is going to come into your home, and you would say, hey, hallelujah, we're glad you finally got here. And, oh, by the way, now you can make it. Well, they can't make it. They can't make it. That's why every baby in Christ needs a church family to help them make it. And you say, but they're going to they're gonna do some things they shouldn't do. Yeah. Uh, my kids, and they got this from their mother, but a streak of rebellion, yeah. Don't touch it, honey, it's hot. Don't touch it, don't touch it, don't touch it. Little kids just have to learn that. They got to learn that. They got to learn what they can pick up and put in their mouth and what not to. And Betty, one time, Aaron came in. We lived in Arkansas again, and Aaron came in, and his mouth was all pooched out like 
And she said, like every mother does, what do you got in there? Open your mouth. He wouldn't open his mouth. Open your mouth. And she finally hooked her finger in there, and when she did, a great big old green June bug grabbed her hand. Still alive. Well, children, you know what? You could, you could get up early in the morning, and you could listen to Dr. John MacArthur on the radio, and you'd say, that's something good. But listening to Dr. MacArthur, there's a whole lot of nutcases out there that also pass themselves off as ministers. That child doesn't need to be listening to them. They need to be where they're getting fed. And in this community, where is that? It's, it's right here. It's right here at West Haven. Listen to Brother Mike. That's where they need to be. So you're going to grow. You're going to leave this chair, you come to this chair. You're going to leave this chair, come to this chair. There may be somebody here tonight that says, well, I'm just, a, I'm just a newborn babe in Christ. Then desire the sincere milk of the Word. So what? So you can grow. So you can grow. Now, back to 1 John, because we've come to this place. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 says, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Now here's the next stage, and that's a little child. And you know what? You're learning more theologically, but I'll say this. You're never going to know more than this very simple fact. Because of Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. We've sung it tonight. Several times, David. We sung it tonight. And I'm glad that somebody's writing theologically sound lyrics to understand. I've been, in run, I've been in this ongoing email with a guy that I know down in Miller County that's come, been coming to hear me preach. And he's basically arguing with me that it's based upon works that a person is going to heaven. And I'm like, no, John, that's not it. And so, I'm glad that he's still coming. I'm, he even signs his letter, your heretic friend. And I, I'm, but, but I'm looking for the day, and I'm praying for the day that God will lead him out of chair number one into this where he understands that all of our hope is in Christ. It's in Christ. All together in Christ. And what does he say? I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. What is my hope? My hope is Jesus. What is your hope? Your hope is Jesus. And then he says this on down here. He says, I write to you, little children, because you've known the Father. Now, we step out of this chair. This is another stage of growth. Look at this. He says in verse 13, I write unto you, fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. I have written, I write unto you, young men, young women, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then he says down in 14, uh, verse 14, I've written unto you, fathers, because you've known him that is from the beginning. I've written unto you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abideth in you. Now, here is the warrior class in our world today. These are the people that, you know, you, you're just coming along and, and one day you reach a point where you realize, I'm strong. My faith is not going to be shaken by what's going on in the world, whether it's overseas or whether it's in Washington, D.C., because I am strong in the Lord. And 
in every church, folks, in every congregation I've ever been, we need this group of men and women that are young men and young women that are strong in the Lord and in their faith and they're growing. And honestly, they come to the place where they have the physical energy and they have the mental knowledge, but they have the spiritual heart that they're the ones that really wind up getting the church to grow. It's this group right here. Who do you think would load their family up on an airplane, pack all their stuff into a box, and say, we're going to go serve as a missionary? It's this, this group right here. Who is it that's going to step up and say, I'm going to teach a Sunday school class, or I'm going to start a new unit, or I'm going to start a new class right here at, at West Haven? It's people just like this. They've got the faith to do it. Who do you think is going to be the ones that are going to reach people with the gospel? Who's going to care for the children that are in the nursery and in the children's department? Who's going to stand and take this man's place when he's no longer able to do it. Who's going to be? It's going to be those young men that are coming up and they have to be produced out of our churches. We've got to have men and women like this. In a day when the world is tearing us apart and our churches are struggling along the way, we need young men, young women who are strong in the Lord. They know about spiritual warfare. I'm going to talk some about that tomorrow. But they know about it. And then, I'm writing to you fathers. Now I think he's talking about fathers and mothers. I think he's talking about old people, too. Can I get a witness? <laughs> now one reason I say that is that I know, and I reached this point in my life, where after this year, this past September, I passed the 50-year mark of preaching the gospel. But at some point, I realized, Brother Mike, I didn't have the energy I had when I was occupying this place. I didn't have the creativity. You said, oh, Brother Monty, you should have had the creativity. Look, you can only drum up so much creativity. I just, I reach a point where I realize somebody else with new ideas, with new insight, I mean, these people are hearing my voice for 30 years. It's like you have a radio out in your garage, and it's on all the time. <laughs> and so it's background noise. And sometimes I, I got to where I was thinking, that, that's just Brother Monty. Right, Tanya? Yeah, that's just Brother Monty. That's the way he looks at it. Like, they call me Bromo. That's just Bromo. <laughs> but I realize that God has another ministry for me. You see, just because you get out of this chair and get into this chair, it doesn't mean God's done with you. In fact, suddenly I find out that I've had the heaviest fall preaching schedule that I've had maybe in ever. And so I can do some things. I have young preachers that come and meet with me and say, you know, I got this problem. Can you tell me what I ought to do? Or, would you, Brother Monty, would you pray with me about this? Or, can I tell you what's going on? Or, we're dealing with this. And then I've got 
you know, churches that have said, would you come kind of be a consultant for us? I, I, I've done some things like that. And because all of a sudden, I get old and people think I know something. And it's about time. Now, if you want somebody to think you don't know anything, just serve on the executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's pretty bad. And Betty and I have been married. It'll be 50 years in March if we make it. And uh, so I'd gone down to begin to serve in 2017. About 2019, they asked me, would you serve as chairman of the special subcommittee on communication? It's like, yeah, I can do that. So I came home and I said, hey, honey, guess what? (laughs) They asked me to be the chairman of the subcommittee on communication. The executive committee of the Southern Baptist Convention, they've asked me to be the chairman of the subcommittee on communication. In the the whole Southern Baptist Convention, they've asked me. She looked at me and said, what do you know about communication? (laughs) But I still feel that maybe I can help somebody. But then there's going to come a day when I'm going to get out of this chair. You know what I'm talking about? Now, the interesting thing is, you can go (laughs) from any of these chairs except the first one. You can go from this chair to this chair instantly. You can be a babe in Christ and... You can be a young man, you say, I got my whole life my, ahead of me and my, you know, my family. You can be a young woman, all of these things, and you can be right in the prime of your life when you're strong in the Lord and you're gaining victories for God. And how many times have we said, why, Lord? Why did you take that person out? Why did you leave me and take them? Some of you have had those same thoughts. But suddenly they've gone from here to here. And then as the natural progression goes, there comes a day when we've run our course, we've kept the faith, we've done what God called us to do, and he's going he's gonna, he's gonna to snatch us up out of that last chair, and we are going to be absent from this body and present with the Lord, and they're going to lay old... That old body down, I doubt if they'll put a piece of bologna over our mouth first, but they're going to lay that old body down in the grave, and uh, it's, uh, it's, and then there's going to come a day, for the Bible says it will happen. In fact, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the trump of God shall sound. The shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ... That's those of us who know the Lord, and we've gone on, and we're dead now. (laughs) We shall rise first. And I don't know if we're going to say, come on, folks. rest of you, come on. And those of us who alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. My question for you tonight is, what chair do you sit in? Is this your chair? 
Are you just now coming to know Christ? Are you a babe in Christ? Are you growing? Are you a little child that you just can't, you just can't soak enough of it up? You, you are hungry. Now I've got several grandchildren that are teenagers too. They are always hungry. And you may be one that's right, like, I've been in that chair, but I need to get in that chair. I've been a little child, but now I need to be a young man or young woman. There's a place of service for me right here in this church. And then let me challenge all of you all that are getting older. You are desperately needed. Some people say, well, it's time for me to rest a while and just sit back and not do anything. No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I am saying this much, don't hold this bunch back. They're going to come with ideas and visions and dreams. And you're going to say, well, tell us what God is telling you. Show us what we can do. Let's, uh, it, it's not the matter of like being a part of a cold water committee that you carry a bucket of cold water along and throw it on the fire. I mean, throw some gasoline on it. Get her going. Get her blazing. But those that said here, you know what? It says here, for you have known him that is from the beginning. Now, Brother Mike and I, we've known each other for a long time. We've talked a lot of theology through the years. And, the, and people like to not just talk and discuss theology, they like to argue theology. The older I get, the more I'm learning. When it all comes down to this, the most important thing that I know is that I know Him. That is the most important thing I know, is that I know Him. You can have all of your discussions about dispensationalism and soteriology and everything else. The most important thing is that I have known Him, and i known Him from the time that He called me to be His. So we're given an invitation tonight, an unusual invitation, because, well, it's just an unusual night. What chair do you sit in? What, what's your chair? So this is what I want us to do. I don't want you to come and sit in the chair that you say, well, I, I'm in that chair. That's my chair right there. I want you to come and kneel, and then you can go back to your, back to your chairs, but I want you to come and kneel by the next chair. Like if you're in this chair and you say, I don't know Christ as my Savior, then tonight I would really, I would ask you to come and just kneel by this chair and say, not so much, I don't know Christ my Savior, but I want to know Jesus tonight. I want to know Christ tonight. And you'd say, well, I want to grow. And then we get on up here to this chair where it's a young person that says, I'm ready to take another step in my service to the Lord. I'm, I'm ready to be that, that young man, that young woman that realizes I am in the thick of the conflict and I'm ready to take my place in leadership in this body, in this local church. And then some of you, getting a little long in the tooth, whatever that means, and you may say, it's time for me to take this seat of wisdom, not because you think you're wise, but because others look to you 
And God will give you that ministry. God will give you that opportunity to be a cheerleader for a lot of other people that are doing work back through there to just say, come on, we can do this. Let me tell you what's happened to me. That, that's so often, that's so good. is because people say, I don't, nobody's ever had, nobody knows the trouble I've seen. And you can say, well now, brother, let me tell you what happened to me. I've been through this. It's different. Everybody's pain and sorrow is different. I got a letter from a dear lady just yesterday, and she was laying the whole thing out. And Betty said, let me see the date on that. Is that a full moon? I'm like, yeah. You understand what I'm talking about if you've been a pastor a long time or worked for a police department. But, I mean, it's like some things, you can't make this stuff up, but people go through hard times, and they need somebody. To help them. And then for some of us, maybe we just need to kneel here by this chair and say, Lord, I don't know how long you're going to give me, but I want to serve you until the day that you take me home. And quite simply tonight, without a lot of talking, I'm just going to ask you, David's going to sing for us. He will hold me fast. But we're going to stand with heads bowed and eyes closed, and if God lays on your heart to come and Take your place and say, Lord, grow me. Help me to come to that next place, that next chair. Then I want to encourage you to do that. Would you stand with us tonight? Brother Mike is going to be right down here by chair number one. And if God's speaking to your heart and you want to come to know Christ as your Savior, then come right here to this second chair and say, I want to be saved tonight. I want to come to Christ tonight. Obey the Lord. Father in heaven, help us to grow. Help me to grow. I have not yet arrived, but help me to grow, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.